How wonderful it was this morning once again to see people go through the waters of baptism. It reminds us of that great truth that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There are many people today that think that scripture means that we're safe in here and angels surrounding us and hell can't break through. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that hell will not be able to hold the captives when the church comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're able to release people and set them free and bring them into a glorious relationship with the living God. Amen. And we need a shout about that. I think you should stand up and give the Lord a shout this morning. Come on, let's give a look. He's our champion. Bless his name. He's our champion. He's fighting for us. Thank you, Jesus. We bless you. We love you because you first loved us. You accepted us when we were rejected. We love you, Lord. We thank you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Hmm. This morning I'm going to speak from the passage of Scripture that speaks about the cross of Jesus. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish, but to us it is the power of God. I love that Scripture where it says God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are, so that no flesh may glory in his presence. He uses foolish things. Whoever thought that God would use an old wooden cross to demonstrate his love and to bring men and women into a wonderful relationship with him. I'm going to read Luke 23, 32, 43. There were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers mocked him coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him were hanged blaspheme, letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Then one of the criminals who had, were hanged blasphemed him say, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And the criminal looked at him and said, do you not even fear God, seeing you're under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we have received due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Lord, we pray this morning that you would anoint your word. I pray, God, that today you would anoint every ear that we may hear what the Spirit is saying. We come against everything that will exalt itself against the knowledge of God, and in the name of Jesus, we pull it down, and we pray that your word would flow like a river. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. 
on the cross, three men on the cross. Two men are condemned to death because of their crimes. I don't know what they did. It says they were thieves. Nonetheless, they were sentenced to death. The one in the middle was an innocent man, the man Jesus. Now, the cross is the hangman's noose. It's a lethal injection. It is the firing squad. The people who were crucified were people who were condemned to death for their crimes. And as these men are hanging on the cross, one on either side of Jesus, there is a crowd of people that are blaspheming him, and they're saying, if you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and others as well? And right in the, just before that, the, when Jesus was take, baptized by John the Baptist, uh, the people said, if you are the Son of God. You see, that is always trying to bring, the devil is always trying to bring doubt to the fact that Jesus is the anointed one and that he is the Son of the living God. And so the thief says, if you are the Son of God, save us and yourself. And, and they blaspheming him, the people standing around them. And so the other thief looks at him and says, don't you fear God, seeing that we deserve what we're getting, but this man has done nothing wrong. Isn't it amazing that this thief, now condemned to death, suddenly he has the fear of God. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. We also know that God said he has not given his church a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And so God does not want a negative fear to take hold of your life, but God wants you to have a positive fear, and that's the fear of him. And yet on the cross, this man suddenly is convicted, and he's suddenly convinced that Jesus is the anointed one. And he says to Jesus, he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now the amazing thing about this is the fact that all the scribes and the Pharisees all the religious people, those that have had doctorates in religion, those that were involved in the synagogues and in the churches, they did not know who Jesus was. They did not realize that he is the Messiah, that he is the anointed one. They'd read the Old Testament. They read the scriptures. Uh, they, were, they heard over and over what the prophets of old had said, that this one will come and he'll be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. They heard all that stuff. And yet they did not come to the realization that this man Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. But here is a thief rejected, despised, condemned to death for his crimes to society, condemned to death because he lived a horrible life. Yet through all that, he looks at the man Jesus, Jesus who was stripped naked, Jesus who was bleeding, Jesus who was mocked by many people around the cross, and he sees not a broken man, he sees not a man that is losing, but he sees a king. And he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. No one else saw that. He took a thief to see that Jesus indeed is a king. And Jesus responds and says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Now I want to just mention to you three times that Jesus used the word today. Just after he had been anointed in the river Jordan by John the Baptist, he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And there he overcame the devil and was victorious over every temptation that the devil would bring against him. Then he went into the synagogue. 
And the Bible says he opened the, the scriptures and he read from the Old Testament where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to open the blind eyes and to heal the broken heart and to set the captives free and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And as he said that, he said to the people there, he said, today is this scripture fulfilled before your very eyes. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, but today in this place is this scripture being fulfilled before your eyes. And then another time he was going into a city and there was a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was a crook, he was a thief. He deceived the people, he robbed the people and the people despised him. But he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbs up in the tree and he waits for Jesus to come. And as Jesus comes to that tree, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And immediately Zacchaeus comes down and in the presence of Jesus, immediately he's convicted and he says, Lord, I will repay all the people that I've robbed, everything that I've done wrong, I will correct. And Jesus says to him, today is salvation come to this house. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, but today is salvation come to this house. And now the third time here on the cross, he says to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. There are some people that are trying to change that and, and make it mean something else, but it means exactly what it says. Jesus said to that thief on the confession of his faith that today he will be in paradise with him. Now, there are three men that have died on the cross. The one man, uh, the unrepentant sinner, who does not turn to Jesus, does not confess that Jesus is Lord, he dies in his sin. It's a terrible thing for a person to die in their sin. And that's why I believe God gives every man and every woman and every young person an opportunity somewhere along life's way to commit their lives to him. But anyway, this thief, he refused to repent, so he dies in his sin. The other thief who repented died of sin. He was condemned to die on that cross because of the way that he lived. But now, because he puts his trust in Jesus, he does not die in his sin, but he dies of his sin. And then, of course, Jesus in the middle cross, he dies not in sin, not of sin, but he dies for sin. All our sin was loaded upon Jesus. The Bible says, for he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My friend, you cannot take sin lightly. You cannot brush it aside. You cannot compromise with it because it is sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. It is sin that caused him to suffer. It, it was sin that caused him to be rejected. When that moment when Jesus took the sin of the world, he took our sin and everyone else's sin upon himself. And the Bible says there was darkness upon the face of the earth. And for the very first time in eternity, the father could not look upon his son because of the awfulness of sin, that Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was at that moment that the father had to turn away from his son. But we're so grateful this morning that Jesus took our place. We're so grateful this morning that because he died, you and I can live. We're so grateful this morning, no matter what sin we have committed, it can be forgiven and it can be removed from us. 
And so here in this passage of Scripture, there is some wonderful teaching, the teaching the fact that Jesus is a king. Jesus was never born to be a king. He was born a king. The Bible says that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, there are a few things that we see in the life of this repentant thief. There is tremendous teaching for us. Uh, Not all preaching is teaching, but all preaching should have teaching. It is important that we get to know God's Word. And so there's some wonderful teaching in this passage of Scripture. The first thing that I notice about this thief is the fact that he wasn't baptized. He did not go through the waters of baptism. It was the the time that he was about to die on the cross. He had no opportunity to go through the waters of baptism. Nevertheless, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. There are some people who teach that in order to be saved, you need to be baptized. And water baptism is essential to salvation. They say if you're not baptized in water, even though you say you're saved, uh, you're actually lost. You have to go through the waters of baptism because it is a part of our salvation or it is essential to salvation. The same people who teach that also teach that you have to be baptized by them. Not by any church, only by them. And so a lot of that teaching is going around today and it brings confusion to men and women. Now, why do we go through the waters of baptism? Why why were these people baptized this morning? Because it is a public declaration of what they're experiencing. When they go into the water, it signifies the burial of the old man or the old woman. When they come up out of the water, it signifies the resurrection of the new man or the new woman. It is something we do because we love Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But it's got nothing to do with our salvation. We are not saved by the water. When you go in there a dirty sinner, you'll come out a dirty sinner. The water does not wash away any of your sin. And the baptism is not essential to salvation. You can be born again and still go to heaven, even though you've never been baptized. But Jesus wants us to be baptized. He wants us to confess publicly the experience we've had. There's only one remedy, only one solution for the sins that men and women commit, and that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only the blood that washes away our sin. And I'm so glad this morning that I can see Waters Church. We, we still speak about the blood. They sang about the blood this morning, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It reaches the highest mountain and it flows in the darkest valley. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so salvation is not, uh, baptism is not essential to salvation. We do it because Jesus said we should do it as a confession. The second thing that people also propagate is good works. There are many people today that believe the more good you do, the better chance you have of going to heaven. And so there are many, many people who do a lot of good works, and the motive is because they think the more good works they do, the better they off and the better chance they have to go to heaven. But the Bible says we are not saved by our good works. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I want you to notice in that passage of Scripture, he says we're saved by grace through faith and not by our own works, because if we can do it through our own works, we can boast. 
Now, heaven will be a terrible place if it's filled with boasters, people bragging. Why are you in heaven? Oh, I'm here because of what I've done. I'm here because of the good work that I have done. No, heaven won't be like that. When you and I go to heaven one day and we ask someone, why are you here? The only thing they can do is point to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here because of what Jesus did on the cross so many years ago. And so he says, for by grace, that is God's unmerited favor. And it's not that, uh, that God selects certain people and rejects other. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so uh, it's grace whereby we are saved. And, and we live by grace. And the amazing thing about the passage of Scripture, he says, for by grace you are saved through faith. In other words, there, there is faith involved in getting saved. Now, I'll ask you a question. If someone has never heard the gospel preached, They've never read the Bible. They've never gone to church. They know nothing about God. They know nothing about the Bible. And then one day they have the opportunity of sitting under the preaching of the gospel. How can they have faith to respond? Because they, got no, they, they, they have no faith. They lost. They, 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 their faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. They've never heard the word of God. You see, with that scripture, if you listen carefully, it says, for by grace you are saved through faith. God is so gracious. Not only does he save us by grace, his unmerited favor, but he gives us the faith to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit has come. He's come to make Jesus real to us. He's come to convict us or convince us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When God speaks to you, the Holy Spirit brings conviction or convinces you, and you respond to that in faith, and that faith in itself is a gift from God. And so for by grace are we saved, not through good works. Now, he goes on and he says, but we do good works because we've been created in Christ Jesus. Why do we do good works as Christians? Because we are Christians. We don't do good works to please God. We don't do good works to appease God. We don't do good works to hope that our good works will take us to heaven one day. We do good works because we are already in Christ. We are already born again. We are already Christians. And that's what he says. You do good works because you've been created in Christ Jesus. It's amazing that when he speaks about some of the foundation stones of the Christian faith, and one of those is repentance from dead works. He says you've got to repent from dead works. What are dead works? It's works that we present to God that are in vain, and with a wrong motive, and God rejects that, and he says that's dead works. So there are still some people who've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, who have responded to the gospel, and by God's grace they have been saved, but now they must understand their position in Christ, and so what they do, they start working their way. They start doing things because they want to do better. They want to please God. They want to get into heaven through the works that they've done, and they forgot it is by grace and by grace alone. And so we are saved by grace. And, and of course, as you know, when, 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 whenever the scriptures are taught, there are people that take it to extremes and false doctrine is taught to many people. Today we see there's an extreme on grace. 
grace where uh, God forgives you of your past sin. He forgives you of your present sin. And he also forgives you of your future sin. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. If God's grace forgives me of my future sin, why should I stop sinning? I can live in sin and who cares? God's going to forgive me. So that's not, the, that's not what the Bible teaches. We are saved from past sins. We're saved from our present sins if we confess them. And we trust God as we go along, that we make mistakes, we fail, we are not perfect, we're not self-righteous, we make mistakes as the people of God. The Bible says if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we make him a liar. So me as a pastor, I still sin, but I have, I have this assurance that if I come before him and I confess my sin, he is faithful and just enough to forgive me of my sin, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. That's the wonderful thing about God. He forgives us. And so uh, we, we're saved by grace and grace alone. This man on the cross could do no good works. He couldn't go knock on your door and share the gospel with anybody. He was a thief and a robber who was condemned to death. And there on the cross, he, he commits himself to Christ without doing any good works. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. The other thing is also universalism. Uh, there are people today that say everybody's going to heaven. God is a good God. God is not a, 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 a God that will put people in hell. And they use those excuses. They, miss, they say, listen, if you say God is a God of love, why would God send people to hell? Hell is a terrible place. The Bible says there's the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. It says it's a place where the worm dieth not. Hell is a horrible place. And if God is a God of love, why will he send people there? Well, the fact is God doesn't send anyone to hell. God doesn't send any person to hell. God prepared hell for the devil and his angels. The devil with a third of heaven's angels rebelled against God, and God has locked them up in, in the abyss, and in one day they will spend eternity in hell. It is prepared for the devil and his angels. If people go to hell, they go there because of their own free choice. You have power to decide where you go. You have power to make the right decision. Today, you sit and you hear the gospel. You can make a decision right here whether you want to go to heaven or into a lost eternity. God does not force any individual. God does not twist anybody's arm. He reveals his love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No greater love in a man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So there's a demonstration of God's love. And you and I have to make a decision. God is so gracious that he sends the Holy Spirit to convince us and to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment so that we can come to a place where we can make a decision for eternity. You see, the, every man and woman have their own free will. We're not robots. We're not puppets. God gives us our own free will, the power of choice. You choose who will be your God. You choose who you will serve. You choose your destiny. And every time you sit under the gospel, God is giving you an opportunity to hear that he loves you, to hear that he cares for you, to hear that he wants to change your life and he wants to make a new creature out of you and he wants to make you a man and a woman of destiny. Many people today don't know why they're here. They don't know which way they're going. They don't know what they're called to do. But when you come into Christ, 
Christ, when you're born again and become a child of God, you become a man or a woman of destiny. You begin to understand the purposes of God. You understand that this great God who spoke the world into existence and keeps it together by the power of his word wants to work in you and through you so that he can build his church, so that his will can be done on earth. Yes, good works. We're saved by grace and grace alone. Universalism means not all are saved, means some are lost. Going into a lost eternity, we have to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says when it says God so loved the world, the following verse says, but those that believe not are condemned already. They're condemned already. You have to make a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then also, uh, this man, uh, he, one went into heaven and one went into a lost eternity. If everybody was okay and everybody was going to heaven, why did Jesus not say to both of the thieves, today you will be with me in paradise? He didn't do that. He only did it with the one thief who repented. And so there's no such thing as universalism. Every man and woman makes a decision sometime or other. And then also there's soul sleep, where people are saying that when we die, as Christians, we go to the grave. Our spirit, our soul, and our body goes to the grave to wait for the great resurrection. And that there's going to be one general, general resurrection one day. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that when a Christian dies, it's his body that goes to the grave because corruption must put on incorruption, mortality, immortality. But the spirit and the soul of man who's born again immediately when a Christian dies, his spirit leaves him and goes to be with the Lord. And that's why in Thessalonians he says, when Jesus comes back, he'll bring those back with him that have gone to sleep, that have died. He'll bring them back. Who's he bringing back? He's bringing back the spirits of those that have died. And then he's going to raise their bodies and the new bodies are going to be incorruptible and spirit, soul, and body is going to come together. So there's no such thing as soul sleeping, that when you die, you go into the grave and, and that wait for that great resurrection. They know. Paul says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The moment a Christian dies, that very moment, he, the spirit leaves his body and goes to be with the Lord. And then also people uh, speak about purgatory. Jesus never said to this man on the cross, you lived a terrible life, now you've got to go to purgatory, and some people must have mass for you to try and get you out there so you can uh, continue with the journey to heaven. There's no such thing as purgatory. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there's a place called purgatory. We only have one chance, and that is, that, that is this side of the grave. Once we die, it's too late. Every man must make a decision the side of the grave. And that purgatory says you undergo purification so as to achieve holiness and to enter into heaven. There's no such place. God says we, now is the accepted time. Now is the hour of salvation. Purgatory is the imagination of religion. It comes from religion. doesn't come from the Bible. It's heaven or hell. And every person has the opportunity to make a decision. The sixth thing we learn about this man on the cross also is the fact that death does not end at all. How many people uh, believe it and how many people say, it, you know what, uh, you only have one life. Let your head down. Live as you please. Sow your wild oaks. Pay the, paint the town red. Don't worry about all this stuff because once we die, we die, and that's the end of it. Jesus never said that to the man on the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. If, 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 the, if, the, if death ends it all, then Jesus lied to the man. 
But he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, death doesn't end at all. The Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. As a young man, I grew up in my sister's house, and they were Christians. They loved the Lord. They served the Lord. They went to church. They played gospel music. And so growing up there, I understood the gospel. I heard the gospel many times. And, and, and I used to say to myself, because I, I love to sow the wild oats. I lived a real a rebellious life. I drank and I did whatever you can imagine. And, and I always thought to myself, you know what? I hear this thing about the gospel. What I'm going to do just before I die, I'm going to make a decision. And I thought that for many years, you know. I was always scared. I said, Lord, please don't let me die suddenly. Let, let something happen so it's gradual so I can make the right decision. And how many of us do that today? We say, you know, one day, one day, one day, I'll decide to give my life to Jesus. Listen, that one day may never come. Today is the day. Today is the hour of salvation. Today we commit our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just close with three other points. It's never too late to be saved. How many of you have messed it up? I messed it up time and again. Messed it up horribly. And um, the devil would come to me and he'd say, you know what? You messed up too much. There's no hope for you. And there were a lot of people that agreed with him because they said the same thing. But not with God. It's never too late to be saved. Never too late. How many people have gone into a hotel room with the intention of committing suicide? And as they sat on their bed, they saw a Bible and they picked it up, a Gideon's Bible. And they began to read it. And all of a sudden, God began to speak to them. Instead of committing suicide, their lives were changed and transformed by God's power. It's never too late. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let anybody lie to you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right there in the depths of the muck and the mire, right there in the midst of your sinful life, you can reach out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I guarantee you this morning, he will not turn away from you. He will stretch forth his hand and he will save you. It's never too late to be saved. Second thing is even the worst can be saved at the last moment. I've had the opportunity over many years in the ministry of speaking to people on their deathbeds. It's a very hard thing. It's, it's a heart-wrenching thing when you're sitting next to someone who's dying. But many people over the years, as they were dying, I spoke to them and asked them to give their lives to Jesus. And they have. Now, I'm not the final judge. He's the final judge. But by this story that this man in his hour when he was facing death, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And so whenever you get an opportunity to speak to people, even if they're on their deathbed, never doubt the fact that the Lord is able to save even the worst one at the last moment. And then thirdly, God has made salvation simple. The gospel is a simple message. It's a simple gospel for a sinful world. For God loved us, gave his life on that cross so that you and I who were dead in our trespasses and sin can be resurrected to a new life, new purpose, a new hope. It's simple. 
God is not telling you, you've got to read five books in the Bible first. He says, just come as you are. Just as you are this morning, with your mess, with the, with the sin that you're doing, with whatever you're involved in, he says, come, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Thank God. Over the years, we've seen the worst of the worst, and I was also the worst of the worst. When I sat in a service like this and the preacher said, today there's a giant in your life and Jesus can kill that giant and set you free. I was bound by alcohol and I got up out of the seat in the back there, not in this house, many years ago. But I got up and I walked down, right down to the front. And I said, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm a drunkard. I don't know which way to turn. I don't know what to do. Will you please take me just as I am? You know what? He accepted me just as I am. That day, I remember I wept. I was a street fighter. But that day I cried. For the first time in my life, I felt a heavy burden just taken away. As Jesus removed my sin. Cleansed me and forgave me. I can do it for you this morning. No matter what people have said about you, no matter what the devil has lied to you, right here this morning in this house, today, Jesus can say to you, today, you belong to me. Will you make that decision today? It's not by telling us, by telling nice stories that causes people to come. It's the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit to convict you right now, there where you're sitting. Not to worry about anybody else because it's about you. Jesus died for you. If I was the only person that ever lived, Jesus would have died for me. He died for you. Will you just say this morning, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Will you forgive me? And he's going to forgive you. Make a new person out of you. Will you stand? They're going to come and sing now. And while they sing, will you make that decision? It's between you and God at the end of the day. It's not, it's not our... I'm not yet to count hands. I'm yet to ask you to make that decision. You'll never be sorry. I've, I've, been in, I've been in the ministry a long time. I don't find people that say, I'm sorry that I gave my life to Jesus. Everyone is glad because they did. May, that be your, may this be your day, today. May God bless you. May God bless you as you make the right decision today in this house.